I've kind of had on my mind just the last couple of days, really, um, <clears throat> some some thoughts about. Well, actually, last night in another meeting, I I shared a little bit about some, just some thoughts about uh, Galatians five. That that chapter we read some of that together and talked about um, <clears throat> walking in the spirit. And some of the things that Paul talks about in, in Galatians five, and I've kind of, and and then we kind of referenced a little bit Romans eight, and I've kind of had the 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 section from Romans five through eight on my heart. I feel like little by little over the years, certain parts of it continue to maybe grow into a little bit more clarity in my in my heart through, I hope. Uh, more experience of it, and I've I've always found that to be true. The way to, like, the only way really to understand scripture is um, to find the truth of it, experienced in the heart, and then and then the the words of it, kind of suddenly take on new meaning and new new relevance and new importance. They seem more weighty and more living. Whereas before, before when you're reading about something that you don't have experience of, but you have you have a belief in it, but you don't have an experience of it, then then the words feel maybe they're interesting to the intellect, but they, they don't they don't feel as living. They don't feel as um, I, I don't know. I'm sure many of you have have had some experiences where you've been reading scripture, and then all of a sudden something is so clear and so obvious in it that you you wonder why no one else is talking about it or why it doesn't seem like a big deal to other people but then you kind of realize it wasn't a big deal to you too until until something changed inside of your heart and and suddenly that those words now testify of a of an experience you're having or something living that's going on in you anyway little by little this whole the whole section of really Romans 5 through <clears throat> through 8 which is I think in a lot of people's mind, kind of like the, the I don't know, the kind of the heartbeat of the gospel described in terms of like what, um, or, or Christian doctrine, or or the description of of like what the the Christian life is is to be, or I guess there's a lot of different ways to say it, but, <clears throat> um. Anyway, I thought maybe this morning I, I would just kind of try to give a little bit of an overview um, of that section of scripture, and then see where it goes. Maybe maybe s- mention a few specific things in Romans five, and then if it feels right, maybe go on in the weeks to come, talking a little bit more about this. And if not, I'll just change change course, but. It really, it really seems to me like it's impossible to understand this section of scripture. Really, I think it's impossible to, to truly understand Christianity until until we understand the the two things that man experiences uh, inwardly. Because everything, everything that Christianity really is, has to do with dying to one of those things and living in the other. And that's really it's a it's, it seems like a really simple thing to say, but 
it's uh, it's astounding how foreign that concept is to even people who have attended church their whole life. I really do believe that. I mean, that's what G- Jesus talked about. Um, losing your life in order to find life. That's kind of something that he continually said in, in different ways or denying a life and, and, and following and living in another life or the, the, the New Testament over and over again makes reference to that in all kinds of statements about um, putting off an old man and putting on a new man or bearing the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can live in you or uh, talks so much about this death on the one hand and this life or resurrection or uh, <coughs> formation in the heart of another life and nature. And and so there's these two things that that are – they're contrary to each other and yet they're both experienced in the heart of man. And I And I – I have come to really believe that understanding those two things, understanding what they are, where they are, what it means to deny one of them or or disobey one so that you can obey the other, or you could say to deny one so that you can follow the other, or there's a, again, there's all kinds of New Testament language, that that's really the essence of everything that practically that, that Christianity means practically for all of us and and it it can all be because that's such an inward thing and because it's something that we begin to feel working in us at a very young age it's something that can be boiled down to real simple concepts and explain to children which is which is great which is really I think that's really neat you could talk to a four-year-old. Before, when I used to talk a lot about um, Christ revealed in us and the different things I was seeing, I I often had no idea. I, I really didn't have any idea. Even when my own kids were, were little, the things that I, when I tried to talk to them about the Lord, I, I just, I had no idea how to talk to my kids about Christ. Because I felt like the Lord had taught me some things, but they were really kind of like complicated and deep and or I I don't know in my mind at least they were deep and I didn't know what to say to kids and a lot of that had to do with with just not really understanding that at the very heart of the gospel there's just this really simple thing that there it, there's there's something that man is by nature which is really bad and then there's something that God did through Jesus Christ in order to be able to put something different inside of us and and lead us out of and, and bring us out of what we are by nature. And so you can talk to a even to a child about that and you can say, Do you feel these two things inside of you? And do you do do you are you aware that <clears throat> in your heart there's this strange desire to do horrible things and most kids would be like oh yeah yeah that's and do you also feel inside of your heart that there's something in you that feels bad about those horrible things and wants to do good things oh yeah that's there too you know and and then suddenly if even again with a four-year-old then 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 you have a gospel to offer to them then you have a way that because then 
what 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 God has done, and and to make the gospel really simple and really practical to every single person, is he's he's given you this this uh, light or the thing that Jared was talking about last week. I listened to his um, his audio on that. He's given you this light, and he's given you the ability to turn to it and and to follow it. He's done something outwardly. Christ has done something outwardly, which is kind of what Romans 5 begins to talk about. He's put us in a condition where where we everyone is in a sense God has reconciled himself to us in such a way that every one of us can reconcile ourselves to him. Or God has justified us through the outward work of Christ so that we can now be saved by his life, which is what, um, which is what it says in Romans 5, um, 9 and 10. There's this outward work that God does through Jesus that opens a way for an inward work, an inward experience of grace to do something in our heart. And then the whole, the whole practical part of Christianity isn't studying and memorizing all the different ways that that's testified about in all the different uh, language of Scripture. The, the practical part of Christianity, the part that really m- means that we're actually growing in it and learning it, isn't seminary classes and, and, and Bible studies, although those those can be, if they're pointing to the experience of it and pointing others to the experience of it, they can have their fruitfulness or their purpose. But the, the practical part of it is actually living in such a way all the time where the thing you are by nature is being disobeyed and denied and not followed, turned from not believed, and the thing that is in you by grace, the gift of God by grace, which is, this is exactly what Romans 5 is talking about. There's two things. It, it starts off in Romans 5 by saying there's two things. There's, there is sin enters the world and death through sin, and that's, and that's spread to all men. That's what it says here in Romans chapter 5. That's, that's our natural condition. And then there's this gift of grace that comes through another man. Sin entered through one man, spread, uh, through, spread death to all men because all men followed in sin, because all men inherited a nature that was void of that uh, life and, and in their own hearts choose to and turn to and walk in a contrary nature, and, and therefore death spread to all men. Even before the law, he says, even before the law was manifesting sins in a whole bunch of commandments, death was already in the world. I'm, I'm more or less paraphrasing um, a lot of what's saying here. Um, wherefore, I have the King James here because I don't know why. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Then it says, for unto the law, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So, So law manifests sin, but sin was already in the world. 
before before God gave a law. The law the law was like putting a flashlight on that sin and saying, "See, there's one. There's a spot right there. That's 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 not God right there. See that over there? That's that's impure. That's unrighteous. That's what the law did. But even before the law, there was still this thing in uh, in the world, and and it came in through Adam." <clears throat> And all of us being sons of Adam received it because you can't have a son that doesn't share the nature of the father. And, and, and in order to rescue us out of that condition, there's something else that God gives and, and places into man. And that is the, that is the gift that is the free gift, and it, and it spreads to all men. All men do not receive it. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, it doesn't mean that all are justified and and experience life, but it does mean that the free gift came through the one and is offered to all men. Again, going back to the verse above, you have to receive that grace. Um, And it says in verse, I'll just go on and read verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So the one disobeyed and became something apart from the nature of God. And his nature just like everything else that has children is passed on to his lineage. That's just what that's what everything does. That's what birth is. Birth is passing on a nature from a parent to a child and then to another child and then to another child. That's that's what happened. You can't have an apple tree give birth to a coconut tree. That doesn't ever happen. You have an apple tree and it has a seed and the seed produces apple trees and that's what happened with Adam. And, and, and through that one man, through that one tree, many were made what that one man was. But here he's saying that through the other man, there's another nature, there's another tree, there's another life, there's another seed. And, and many, if they're born of that seed and grow in that seed and become partakers of that seed and that life, can then become, uh, they can reign in that life in that new life, over the other life. There's a, there's a birth, there's a gift. Like, like, every, like I said, like every nature is passed through birth, the nature of Christ, the gift of his life, the gift of righteousness that is through Christ, given to us by grace, grace being not, a, not an invisible status, but a living measure of that life, a living seed of that life. I say that because some people read this and they say, oh, look, grace was given to everyone by, by Christ. And, and they say, okay, well, what is that grace? The grace is a birth. 
It's a life. It's a seed. It's not, you can't, just as the natural condition of man in sin was a birth, was a life, was something experienced by living in a nature, the grace is a birth, is a life, is a seed. It's something experienced by living in a nature. So there's these two things, okay? And I'm kind of getting, getting into Romans 5 before I gave my, um, gonna try to maybe give an overview here, but of these, these four chapters. But that's kind of where it all starts. Man was born as something. And that something was really, we all know it. We all feel it. We all find its workings and stirrings and movings and pushings and pullings inside of our own hearts. There it is. It's, it's, it's sin. It's, it's, the, it's the life of man apart from the nature and spirit of God. It goes into his own will. It is selfishness. It is self-life. It is self-seeking. It is self-love. It is pride. It is everything that is birthed out from pride like anger and covetousness and envy and all that all that all that stuff that comes out of living in self life that's in man nobody can deny it no atheist can deny it and yet there's a there's another kind of life Every single person, Jared was talking about this last week, every single person feels it's, it's shining and it's shimmering in their hearts that something in them that finds their own nature and life disgusting and, and, and is, wants to hate the evil that they feel in their own mind and their own heart and their own desires. It's a, it's a very strange thing, but it's undeniable. The Lord has made the most important things undeniable to mankind. You, you don't have to have this book to have an inward knowledge and experience of those two things. You just have to have a soul that was born into one nature and was was the recipient of a gift of grace. That's all you need. And, and everyone's got it. And, and then Christianity, again, it just becomes... I don't, I don't know why it didn't seem so simple to me for so long. It's probably because I was just making it into something else, something more complicated. Part, maybe because I wanted to know things without actually changing. Maybe because I wanted to preach things without actually being transformed. I don't know why it didn't seem so clear and so obvious, but to me these days it seems so clear and so obvious. What seems clear and obvious? It seems clear and obvious to me that... Everything that's important, everything that God's trying to do in us has to do with the one. Here's what it has to do with. It has to do with just as the one nature reigned in me. So now, having received the other nature and life and seed, it can now reign in me through Jesus Christ. That's, That's it. The one has reigned in me and, and, and unfortunately still has some cities in the land of my heart where it is reigning. There are still some Philistine cities in my heart. I can see them now. I, I didn't, didn't see them as clearly before. But I, but, I, but I understand now that the thing that God is trying to do in me is cause 
the gift of God to reign in life through Jesus Christ, which is precisely the very next verse in Romans chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But first of all, where did the law enter? I mean, the law law entered, I mean, the, the law entered and it manifested sin. I don't think it made... I don't know that it, I don't know that it made more sins, but it definitely made the sinfulness of sin be seen, and it made the the transgression be become apparent and obvious because law manifests transgression. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did abound. Grace did much more abound. Well, where did where did sin abound? Sin abounded in me. Where, where can grace abound? Well, grace can abound much more in me. Verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, so that as sin has reigned unto death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, a different nature, unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know. I don't know. If, I hope the simplicity of that kind of just strikes you. It's, it's not just dry theology. It's not doctrinal positions. It's not creeds. It's just a really simple statement that's saying, where sin reigned in you, and where the law manifested that nasty sin, grace can actually reign in you. By a different nature. That's that's the gospel. God did something through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ is the gift of grace given to you. He opened a door. He made a way. He parted a Red Sea. He put blood over the door so that you could come out and begin to experience that where, where sin reigned unto death, There, grace can reign. Grace can reign unto righteousness or through righteousness, through through the nature of Christ unto eternal life. And that's that's what he says up in 17.2 where he says, for if by one man's offense death reigned, what what does it mean to reign? It means it has govern it, it, it governs you. It it fills you with its nature. It's you're under it. Okay, you're you're underneath it, and it's reigning over you, and you're under its power. Death reigned, but it says much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying there? Like th- this is this is what this is what Jesus says in. Um, in Revelation chapter three twenty one, I think, where he says that those who overcome will reign with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. You can. I made a way for you to reign with me in my life. You can't reign with me without my life. My life has to be the life that's that's living in you. Grace has to reign in you. You can't just say you're reigning with me because you believe in me. Your believing in me has to cause grace to increase and grow so that by 
by, by living in my life and abiding in my life and continuing in my life, then you reign with me and sit down with me on my throne over and above sin, death, flesh, the world. That's the faith that overcomes the world. That's the, that's the, the reigning that God wants to, to work in all of us. Again, you can't just claim those things as and this, and this is why when I used to do this, this is why I think it all seems so complicated to me, because I didn't. I, I was trying to figure out how I was reigning with Christ when Christ wasn't reigning in me, and I had to try to explain that you know to people. I don't know if that came out clearly. I, that's that's the. That's the burden of a – it's the impossible burden of a pastor or a teacher who's trying to tell people they're righteous when they're not experiencing righteousness. And, and, it, and you have to get complicated to try to make that make sense. You have to, you have to get all – you know, talk about positionally you're this but actually you're not or in this life this is impossible but in the next life it will be or God sees you this way even though you're living totally differently. You have to start doing that which gets really complicated. But when it all kind of when you, when you, when you let the Lord show you in your heart that just the same way that sin reigned in you, grace now has to reign. And how, how does grace reign? Well, um, it reigns, and this is what he goes on to talk about in chapter 6, as we yield ourselves slaves to it. Now, this is not an instantaneous thing. There's a sense in which when we immediately, when we turn our will and turn our heart to that grace and de- desire with all our heart to follow it and live in it, we can and we should consider ourselves dead to the old. That's right to do. Because that new life, that gift of life is what we are wanting to walk in and live in. And we should consider ourselves to be no longer living in. We're no longer debtors to live uh, in that in that life of the flesh, and I think that's what Paul goes on to say in in, uh, in chapter six that we should. It's right to consider ourselves even at the very beginning to be dead, to, to not not as a, a mind trick, not saying that we're dead to sin even though we're still living in it. No, he says that that's silly or wrong. But if our hearts have truly united to that gift of life and grace and, that, and we want to live in it and we're turning towards it and we're yielding ourselves as slaves or, 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 or servants to that gift of righteousness, well, then we should, and we should live and consider ourselves to be dead to the one and alive to the other. But that doesn't mean that sin isn't still trying to reign in our members because the very next verse after he says, consider yourself, I'm maybe going into a little bit of an overview and – he, the very next verse is where he says, uh, he says, likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. People do a lot of kind of funny things with that word reckon or consider, but it doesn't mean that there's not sin that is in your flesh still wanting to reign in you and reign over you because the next verse says, let not then sin or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield the members, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So he, he, there's these two things in you. Again, I'm trying to, trying to keep this real simple because he gets into a lot of details 
uh, in in Romans five through eight that are all I think they're all important and they're all they're all helpful when they're seen in the light. But if we focus on the details without having the big picture of what he's trying to communicate, I think it's easy to get lost. The big picture. There's two things in man. The one reigned in us. The other was given to us to bring us into its reign in life by its nature, righteousness. And we, and we find our, ourselves in chapter 6, this struggle where though we've given our heart and our will to the one life and, and can and should consider ourselves living in that life, alive to that life and dead to the other, yet we find that there's still this struggle. There's something that wants to... Um, there's something that, that, that wants to continue to live in us and reign in us. That is called sin. We don't, we're, not, we're, no, we're no longer debtors where we have to serve sin. And yet sin is there. Sin is present. And so that's why Paul goes on to talk about don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not yield your members any longer, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, verse 14, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now again, this scripture, the, the, the world has done strange things with this scripture for the very same reasons that I've already mentioned. Because we haven't known what it means to really be under grace. I mean, to bring our hearts and our wills under the reign of that new life, that new seed, that new power. We're not under grace. We want to claim the benefits of being in grace without bringing our hearts and our wills under grace. And so we say, oh, look, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace. But see, if we're under grace, then then what that means is that we're yielding ourselves as slaves to grace, as servants to grace. It means we're no longer presenting ourselves as servants. We're no longer letting sin reign in us, but we're letting grace reign. And and I know that is a process. That's not, once again, that's not an instantaneous. You can't just take verse 14 and claim it to be true while your heart and your life are living something different. There's a, there's a journey involved in this, and that's the journey that he's actually describing in 6, 7, and 8. There's a, there's a struggle. There's a wrestling. There's a, there's a finding inside of us, something that we need to obey from the heart. That's verse, uh, verse 17. But, but there's, there's this process where we're learning to obey grace and not obey sin where we're learning to turn away. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Again, all of this makes so much more sense when we understand that these these two two lives or natures or seeds are in us. And we can yield ourselves to the one or to the other. We can bring ourselves underneath the government or the reign of one or the other. 
that we can present ourselves as servants to obey from the heart grace, the appearings and teachings of and stirrings and shinings of grace, or we can bring ourselves under or stay under the appearings and teachings and shinings, so to speak, of sin. We all started with that one. We all started as servants of sin. We all started um, as sin has reigned unto death. We all experienced, have experienced sin reigning unto death in us. And Paul says, now here's, here's, the, here's the good news. Here's the gospel. God made a way through Jesus Christ and then gave you the life of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And now you can turn to your turn in your heart with all your heart to that life and that seed and that newness of life and you can walk in it. You can follow it. You can walk in his spirit. And, and, and if you do that, you won't obey the desires of the flesh. You can live in his spirit. You can follow. You can bring yourself under his grace. And, and if, if, if you do that, then you'll raise up with the grace to sit on the throne with Christ who overcame. You will overcome with the one who overcame by uniting your heart to him and staying under the grace. And, and yet be careful, he says. Don't let sin continue to reign in you. Don't continue to offer yourselves. Present yourselves as servants to the, to the nature that you've, you've lived in your whole life. Don't do that. Don't do that, and especially don't do that while you claim to be under grace, because grace will teach you that, that you, those two things are incompatible. Grace will teach you that you have to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and, and justly in this present age. Grace will teach you that, that you can't live, you can't claim to be alive in the one and still live under the other. And that's, that's said several times. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 6. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, iniquity unto greater iniquity, even so now yield, yield your members Servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. You were free from that other master. You were free from that other government or governor that that you that you could that you, that you now need to come underneath. What verse is that? Uh, twenty, Romans six twenty. When you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. That's a strange, kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Like you were, you were free to live in the flesh. You had no, you had no bondage from grace working in you. But now, being made free from sin, being set loose from Egypt, you've become servants to God. And, and you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end of that is everlasting life. Maybe I'll just say a couple quick things and, and, and stop about uh, 7 and 8. 
So in seven, he begins to talk about the – so in, in five, he talks about those two things kind of. I'm real overview summary type approach here. In six, he talks about the, nece- the necessity of yielding to the one and following and obeying and presenting yourself mem- uh, servants and coming under, the, under grace. And the same way that Israel was under law and had to submit everything to the law, we need to come under grace and submit everything we are to, to the power and teaching of grace. In seven, he starts talking about how uh, that if we try to to do what is that there's there's something in us that delights in the law. We find something in us that agrees with and delights in the law of God in our inner man, and yet we find another law at work in our outer man. He kind of describes that in more detail. And if you try to do th- what is right with the power and strength of the flesh, then you find that you can't do it. And, and that's why you find yourself, there's something in you that agrees with that inward life that you've received. There's something in you that says, yes, I want to be righteous. I want to be clean. And yet if you go about trying to do that in the power and the strength of the flesh, you end up always saying the willing is present, but the doing is not. You, you end up saying to yourself, I don't understand what I do. I, there's, I, I, believe, I know that it's right, but I, I can't – I keep doing all this really gross stuff. When I try to live for God in the flesh, in the old man, in the strength of the natural man, in the first birth, then every single time I end up saying to myself, who is going to free me from the body of this death? The, the willing, I feel it, it's present. I delight with the, the law of God in my inward man, but I find another law that's really strong. And if I live according to the flesh, I can't ever do anything good. That's Romans 7, okay? It doesn't stop there, though. It goes on to Romans 8, where the answer is presented to us in really clear, really clear uh, detail where the answer to that problem isn't, well, you've got to train your flesh to be good, or it isn't that you just have to live like that for the rest of your life because we're in a body. He doesn't say that, which is honestly, that's the conclusion that many Christians come to without reading on to, to eight or even looking back to six where he describes how it's possible to present yourselves as as uh, servants of righteousness and under the government of grace. Romans 8 goes on to talk about the solution to that problem. And the solution to that problem is to learn to live, not to try to live for God in the flesh, because that's what leads you to say, woe is me, who will liberate me from this body of death? But to live according to God, live, live in righteousness by a submission by a continual daily submission to the Spirit of God. And then by walking in the Spirit, the righteous, the, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, and therefore we need to set our mind on things that are of the Spirit and have the, the mind of the flesh, not the have the mind of the spirit and not the mind of the flesh because the mind of the flesh is death but the mind of the spirit is life and peace the the carnal mind is enmity against god it's not subject to the law of god neither can it be 
so that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, there's the problem of Romans 7. Those who are continuing to try to live in the flesh, not presenting themselves continually in submission to the Spirit. They can't please God. They always find enmity at work. Enmity. Two things colliding. Or as he says in Galatians chapter 5, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And and you can't do what you, if you walk in the flesh, you can't do what you want. You can't do what's right. And so the the solution is to walk in the spirit and, and, and to, by submitting to the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if through the Spirit, or you could say through a careful submission to the Spirit, through living under the power of grace, um, you, you mortify the deeds of the body and you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are no longer debtors, verse 12 says, to the flesh, to live after the flesh. There was a time, there was a, an experience that man had where if we're trying to live in the flesh, that is all that we'll find in us. And we're debtors to obey it. We're, it's, like, it's like Israel living under the bondage of Pharaoh. We're debtors to Pharaoh. We can't, we can't escape. There's no open door to get out of here. There's no way to not spend today trying to make bricks without straw and coming up short. There's no way to get out of that. But while we were weak, while we were hopeless in that condition, God opened a way and gave us a gift of grace. And therefore, the journey begins. Therefore, the gospel begins in every one of our hearts. All right, I'm going to stop there.